chapter two of Job with uh, a guy who reminded me again of the whole point of the book, which I don't think we ought to uh, let escape from us totally as we're immersed in these speeches. Uh, there are many lessons in the book, obviously, but I think the book primarily answers the question, will a man serve God for nothing? You know, is God worth serving if you don't see any reward? And uh, Job wasn't seeing any, but he did not turn to a life of crime. You know, and he never really gave up his concept. Uh, and his belief in an all-powerful, all-wise God. Now, there were moments where he questioned his justice, and then he'd turn right back, right back around and appeal to his justice. But, but Job, you know, without receiving any benefit, and not really anticipating any, was willing to continue to essentially serve God. And uh, so that, that is an encouraging thing, even when he's saying some things that are perhaps discouraging. He has been, you know, wishing there were hope for him, but he doesn't really see any. And so would somebody read eight, this is chapter 14, verses 18 to 22. <clears throat> but the falling mountain crumbles away, and the rock moves from its place. Water wears away stones, its torrents wash away the dust of the earth. So you destroy man's hope. You forever overpower him, and he departs. You change his appearance and send him away. His sons achieve honor, but he does not know it. Or they become insignificant, but he does not perceive it. But his body pains him, and he mourns only for himself. So he describes like erosion. You know, a water wearing away stones, washing away the dust, the dirt. And why does he talk about the erosion process? What's the, what is it a parable of? What's happening to him and his hope. Yes. This gradual, persistent wearing down, beating down of Job's hope. And, you know, he just, it just keeps, you know, just going away from him to the point where you forever overpower him and he departs. And, you know, what happens if God decides to uh, make it up to you after you're gone by elevating your children, which Job doesn't actually have any to do that with at the moment, but even if after you're gone your posterity receives a recompense, you don't have any part of that, so it's not going to help you. So man's own personal hope just kind of wears away, and uh, it's just, it's just, this is, it, you almost feel like Job's just kind of winding down in this speech. And is feeling more and more hopeless and helpless and like there's nothing that he can do. You know, it's really sad to see how Job feels about some of these things because, I mean, he's just really uh, in the pit of depression in some of these things. <coughs> Comments and thoughts on that ending for chapter 14 and the ending of Job's speech here. He mourns only for himself as opposed to for... Ah uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's he's got he's got all these problems just in his own life. You know, he's not, there's really nothing else to think about. That ends the first cycle. 
So they've all had their say. Job's had three. Each of them have had one. He responds after each one. And now we're up to the second cycle. And we're going to go through this thing all again. And uh, hopefully they will have made some progress. We'll see. Chapter 15, uh, Eliphaz. And uh, Willie, let's go ahead and read 1 to 16. And Eliphaz the Temanite responded, <clears throat> Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill himself with east wind? Should he argue with useless talk or with words which are not profitable? Indeed, you do away with reverence and hinder meditation before God. And your guilt teaches your mouth, and you choose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I. And your own lips testify against you. Were you the first man to be born? Or were you brought forth before the hills? Do you hear the secret counsel of God and limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that, that we do not know? What do you understand that we do not? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you, even the words spoken gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away, and why do your eyes flash? That you should turn your spirit against God and allow such words to go out of your mouth. What is man that he should be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is detestable and corrupt, man who, who drinks iniquity like water. Wow. Uh, did you see what he was aiming at here most of the time? Um, he says, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Uh, do you understand what he, who he has in mind? <laughs> What's he calling him? Windbag. Yeah, exactly. Um, Eliphaz, in his first speech, was semi-polite. But he's run out of patience by now. And uh, there's nothing polite about what he's got to say from here on out. You know, he does not see that there is anything worthwhile that Job has said. It's all a bunch of hot air. And it's worse than hot air, actually. Because what does it do in verse 4? Hinders meditation before God, and does, he does away with, he's, Job is irreverent, and he's a distraction to those of us who are trying to serve God. Yes, in fact, he kind of uh, undermines us. You know, it's like he's questioning God, questioning God's <laughs> justice. You know, he's pointing out some, uh, do you know the word anomaly? Some uh, inconsistencies in God's governing of the universe and he says you're really you're starting to really uh, you know cause people to doubt God or maybe turn away from God you know so he's accusing him of actually being a stumbling block in people's faith um, that's probably a delicate question but you know while Job's clearly got you know got too carried away with some things is it really a help to faith to just ignore and deny obvious problems? You know, is it really, what, what would we say, for example, do, do righteous people sometimes suffer? Now, would it make any sense for us to deny that just so we didn't uh, let anybody uh, distrust God? You know, what are we going to look like if we say, well, no righteous person ever suffers? Wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because we have. And, uh, you know, when you try to deny the facts, you just look stupid or dishonest. You know, it doesn't really help, you know. So, I, I think their accu his accusation against Job is probably uh, exaggerated here. 
And he says in verse 5, your guilt teaches your mouth. You know, you're saying those things because of how guilty you are. You know, because of how much you've sinned. That's why you're, you're making these, you know, bad accusations against God, which of course we know is not true. You know, he wasn't guilty. And finally, what's his evidence for Job being such a terrible sinner? His own mouth. Yes. Do you see the problem with that? It's a circular argument, isn't it? He's Somewhat. saying that uh, you know, what he's saying is coming from his sin, and his mouth is the source of his sin. <laughs> yes, because <clears throat> if, if, if what he was saying was the reason he was suffering, there's a problem. He wasn't saying it until he was suffering. Exactly. His suffering came first. So whatever he does after he starts suffering really can't be used as evidence for why he suffered. <laughs> you know, but that's kind of what they're doing. You know, it's like, well, we don't need to find any more guilt in you. Look at what you're saying right now. That, that's evidence enough of what a terrible sinner you are. But, you know, that really begs the question. <laughs> you know, while it's not true that he's as... Uh, you know, condemned by his mouth, perhaps now as what Eliphaz said, even if he were. You're going to have to have something more than that to prove why he's suffering, because the suffering started first. It reminds me of another attempt to try to convict someone based upon what they said. Remember uh, what they said on trial? Not what the Sanhedrin tried to do with Jesus? They couldn't find two guys to give the same false testimony, so they finally tried to get him to incriminate himself, and he gladly obliged, since he knew this was part of God's plan, and he really needed them to convict him so they could continue the process. But uh, that's kind of what he's doing with Job here. Do you have some thoughts and comments to verse 6? Look at verse 7. Do you understand what Eliphaz is saying to Job in that? You, the one who's lived the longest and had the most chance to learn all this wisdom and 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 all of that. Yeah. Do you do you know so much? Have you lived so long that you can set aside the you know confirmed conclusions of you know the aged men throughout the centuries? We all know that piety pays and you know all suffering is based on sin. You know how could you say otherwise? Are you are you have you lived longer than everybody else has? You know, or did you hear the secret of counsel of God? You know, are you the only one that knows anything? You know, uh, of course, it's kind of funny. Job didn't hear the secret counsel of God, but actually we have. <laughs> uh, so uh, that we, we have a little more insight into this thing, certainly, that Eliphaz had. Uh, he, and and what, does, what does Eliphaz sound like in verse 9? Do you detect uh, a little bit what his what he's feeling right here? Pride. Yeah, it's like his pride's been hurt. You know, do you think you know something that we don't know? You know, I mean, the very thought that Job might be onto something they didn't already know about, you know, just totally, uh, you know, derails him. Uh, he says, both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. I and mean, we've got the evidence 
of these old timers and they all say well is just the fact that people who are old say something does that prove it's right no, no it doesn't remember remember how Jesus was often against the elders of the people the truth of the matter is the older people don't all say the same thing anyway you know it's just whichever old people we're wanting to listen to sometimes that we claim that uh, evidence on. And then I love verse 11. He says, Are the consolations of God too small for you? Even the word spoken gently with you? Do you realize what he's calling the consolations of God here? What he's been saying? Yes! <laughs> I think that's an overly charitable evaluation of what the friends have been saying. But that's what he's called. These, you know, are these consolations of God, these words we've been speaking, just too much for you? You know, he's really hurt that this ministry of comfort he's been on has uh, not gotten him any gratitude. You know, Job really should appreciate how much they've tried to comfort him. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> you know, it's amazing how we can overestimate the value of what we do. And if there's a consolation in, you know, hardly anything they've said, I haven't noticed it. That whole gently thing. <laughs> yeah. Boy, it's good this thing is we, gentle. <laughs> good thing we didn't get the harsh version, isn't it? <laughs> that could have been really severe. And then he accuses Job of getting sort of, letting his emotions get the best of him. You know, why does your heart carry you away? Why do your eyes flash that you should turn your spirit against God and allow such words to go out of your mouth? Job, you're getting all carried away. You're, you're, you're too, too wrapped up in this thing. It's like, you know, suddenly the friends have totally forgotten what Job's gone through. You know, I mean, it, that's easy to say for somebody who's not suffered all this. Uh, you know, it just seems to me like Eliphaz only cares right now about winning the argument. And then what's his point in 14 to 16? All men are wicked? Yes. You're not righteous. You're a man. Why, God doesn't even put any trust in his angels, much less somebody as wicked as you are, Job. You know... Um, what do you see as the uh, problem with this view? Why haven't all people experienced this? Yes, if all men are such wicked people, then why is Eliphaz not suffering what Job did? I think that's an obvious problem with that. It really all goes back to that great vision Eliphaz received and that has made such a great impression on him. Uh, when he describes at length in chapter 4 and finally the voice says can mankind be just before God can a man be pure before his maker he puts no trust even in his servants and against his angels he charges error how much more those who dwell in houses of clay and so forth so he's, he's kind of back to that same vision that he would had and uh, saying you know man just guzzles sin you know so obviously you know man's going to suffer almost what Satan wanted to say about Job and everybody else. That they just guzzle wickedness, that they're all selfish, and none of them would ever give God a second thought if it weren't for what they were getting out of it. Well, comments and questions through verse 16. 
Logan. Eliphaz think that he's not a man because he says all men suffer, like all men are wicked and the wicked suffer, and he's not suffering. Good question. I, I assume he thinks he's a man, but uh, I don't know how he thinks he's getting off scot-free. Yeah, it's, he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth. Unless he's saying, you know, I'm a man, but I'm pretty righteous, and so my sufferings are kind of low-grade. That may be what he thinks, although he really speaks of mankind in general. I, I really think these guys just get carried away in their talking. You know, they get worked up and they're liable to say most anything. Does verse 15 kind of fit in with that getting carried away that he puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure? It sounds a little... Yeah, it's like saying even the angels are sinners. Yeah, which... Isn't true. Yeah, I'm thinking that doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, but it makes it makes a good argument. You know, if he doesn't even trust angels, if they're not even pure, then how can man expect to be? But yeah, he's really he, he doesn't happen to be accurate in this assessment. You know, it's one minor detail there. It's not true, but <laughs> but it really does sound good. And sometimes that's all we care about. You know, people will will make these arguments and well, that's really sounding good, but man, it's not it's not right. <laughs> Anything else? In back in verse ten, when he talks about both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, he's meaning uh, mankind in general, not necessarily their little group. Well, I think he's saying they're all on our side. All the old timers will say the same okay. thing. We don't have any idea how old he is. Do I don't know. I don't necessarily think that he's trying to say he's older than Job himself, but that, you know, all the wisdom of all the aged are right with them. Everybody knows suffering is because of sin. That's, that's the given. That's what the old timers all say. Now, that's what they used to say. That's what they, you know, the good old days, that's the way it was. Well, Starting in verse 17, Eliphaz returns to his favorite subject. <clears throat> you know what his favorite subject is? What I have seen, I will also declare. Yeah, that's true. Yourself. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, all those are true. I'm thinking of the plight of the wicked man. And uh, as we look at some of these things, it will be interesting to... Uh, see some of the aspects of what he sees as the suffering of the wicked man. We can break this one down a little bit. Uh, let's start with 17 to 19. I will tell you, listen to me, and what I have seen I will also declare. What wise men have told and have not concealed from their fathers, to whom alone the land is given, and no alien passed among them. Alright, so he is going to tell Job what he's seen and what the wise man, men have said. Um, you know, back in the time when the wisdom had not been corrupted by anybody else coming along, when the, when the fount of the, the source of wisdom was pure, you know, I'm going to give you straight from the mouth of the wise, you know, this is, this is what we know. You know, so he just listen to me, and I'll give you, you know, it's not like saying I'll give you just pure wisdom, unadulterated truth. 
So he's uh, certainly pretty impressed with what he knows about all that. Comments? I'd have about 20 to 24. Oh. You'll speak. Um, to whom alone the land was given makes me think of the promised land and all of that, but it that kind of really messes with the timeline of when Job is usually thought to have occurred. And the fact that Eliphaz was a Temanite uh -huh. from the Edomite area. Uh -huh. So yeah, I think it probably isn't saying that. I think it's just saying back, back when, you know, I don't know, whatever land was given to them and there was no traveler to corrupt them when men were just pure wise men, you know, and they didn't have any anybody to, you know, throw out any other ideas to them or something like that. I, again, maybe he doesn't even have a very defined idea. You know, he really likes how things sound sometimes. <laughs> Alright, 20 to 24. The wicked man rides in, rides in pain all his days, and numbered are the years stored up for the ruthless. Sounds of terror are in his ears, while at peace the destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, and he is destined for the sword. He wanders about for food, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is at hand. Distress and anguish terrify him. They overpower him like a king ready for the attack. So, what's it like for the wicked man? Not good. Darkness, it's not good. Painful. Painful. Hungry. Hungry. Scary. Yes, yeah, scary, kind of foreboding, sort of a sense of dread. You know, he's, he's kind of always uh, waiting to get destroyed. You know, it's, it's you don't want to be a wicked man. I mean, things things just go bad for the wicked man. You know, there's no uh, there's nothing really good for him. Always, uh, you know, the sword's kind of hanging over him. Thoughts? So why is the wicked man punished? Twenty five to twenty seven. He seems really in inconsistent here. You saying that? Uh, lost my place. Um, that he rides in pain all his days, yet um, while at peace the destroyer comes upon him. So at what point was he in peace if he rides in pain all his days? Well, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. But, yeah. Poetic like he's, license. He's just making up, you know, whatever <laughs> anecdotes seems to strike his fancy at the time. They're not necessarily connected to each other. <laughs> yes. On, the, on those rare occasions where he had a good day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yes, uh, they sound good. You know, consistency is, you know, what do they say? Consistency is the hobgoblin of weak minds or something like that. I think I've heard something like that. But that, that's not, okay. Only you have heard it. Yeah. At <laughs> least like that. <laughs> hobgoblin? Kind of the thing that haunts weak minds, I guess. I just see him getting on a roll, and then, you know, how you can just sort of get going and then you just get carried away with yourself and that you don't necessarily maintain consistency because he's just talking yes i think you're right yeah yeah they, these these sound good and you know don't don't bother to scrutinize them too closely the epitome of hyperbole <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too i think 
<laughs> and you think hobgoblins, but <laughs> hers is cuter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, twenty-five to twenty-seven. The reasons why the wicked's punished. Because he has stretched out his hand against God and conducts himself arrogantly against the Almighty. He rushes headlong at him with his massive shield, for he has covered his face with his fat. He's made his thighs heavy with flesh. So what does the wicked man do? Stretches out his hand against God. Yeah, tries to attack God. You know, conducts himself arrogantly, rushes against him with his massive shield. You know, he's self-indulgent. He's covered his face with his face with his fat. He's made his thighs heavy with flesh. So here's somebody who's rebellious against God, trying to attack God, does whatever he pleases. No wonder God makes it, torments him, brings him darkness and no light. So, what happens to him again? You kind of got this sandwich. You've got the calamities that come on the wicked and the reasons and now more calamities on the wicked. We want to get a good feel for what all happens to the wicked man. You might be uh, listening for some familiar items in here. 28 to 35. He has lived in desolate cities, in houses no one would inhabit, which are destined to become ruins. He will not become rich, nor will his wealth endure, and his grain will not bend down to the ground. He will not escape from darkness, the flame will wither his shoots, and by the breath of his mouth he will go away. Let him not trust in emptiness, deceiving himself, for emptiness will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time, and his palm branch will not be green. He will drop off his unripe grape like the vine, and will cast off his flower like the olive tree. For the company of the godless is barren, and the fire consumes the tents of the corrupt. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity, and their mind prepares destruction. Alright, so their houses are destined to become ruins in verse 28. Uh, their riches don't endure in verse 29. The fire consumes in verse 30 and verse 34. Uh, back in 21, the destroyer would come upon him. You know what I think? I think those things sound a lot like Job. Fire consuming, the destroyer coming upon him, possessions taken away, his house crumbles. I think he uh, managed to describe the wicked man uh, in such a way that Job can see himself in the mirror. As well as uh, other, you know, eloquent things about him. You know, he can't escape. Uh, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just hopeless. Um, you don't want to be that wicked man. And now, it's interesting, that's the end of Eliphaz's speech. He just describes how terrible the plight is of the wicked man. You know, their mind prepares deception. That's the last thing he says. There's no invitation to repent. There's no word of sympathy. Uh, you know, all he does is end by saying, Job, the wicked man is terrible. And horrible consequences. Recognize any of this, Job? You know, think many of this might apply to you? You know, you can kind of imagine him looking at Job as he says some of those things. Kind of shaking his finger at Job. Here's what happens to the wicked man. Every one of the speeches of the friends in this second cycle ends with, 
the depiction of the Wicked Man. <laughs> you know, you kind of see every one of them in their turn, shaking their finger at Job. You know, listen, listen to what the Wicked Man's like, Job. See if you recognize anybody in this. <coughs> Comments and thoughts. Well, you want to hear what Job says back? <laughs> 16, 1 to 5. Then Job answered, I have heard many such 